Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by Scott Hetzer, owner of Eclipse Fly Company. Scott shares everything from his early fishing memories to the genesis of Eclipse Fly Company to his vision for Eclipse's future. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. But before we move on to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please subscribe in the podcatcher of your choice and leave us a review. It really helps us out. And a shout out to this episode's sponsor. This episode's brought to you by our friends at the Bristol Bay Defense Fund. With the decision on the Pebble Mine's most critical federal permit application due shortly, 2020 is an important turning point in this long-running saga. To help this diverse coalition continue its efforts to protect one of the world's largest wild salmon runs and all of its economic, cultural, and ecological benefits, please visit www.bristolbaydefensefund.com and donate today. Now, on to the interview. Well, Scott, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Thanks for having me, Marvin. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation, and we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. We always ask all of our guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Sure. So it would have been a long, long time ago, far far before I had any idea that I would be professionally involved in the industry. But um, way back as a kid, uh, you know, just near the Rappahannock River on the Caritumans, I uh, used to go there a bunch as a kid and, you know, classic thing, digging up worms out of the garden, throwing them on a hook and probably not catching anything, but still, you know, realizing that there's something cool about it. And uh, I guess that kind of planted a seed that it sprouted perhaps a decade later, but uh, I'm glad it did. Very neat. And when did you get pulled to the dark side of fly fishing? Oh gosh, that would have been about a little over a decade ago. I would say when I was uh, like 14, um, got super, really lucky. I mean, I feel really fortunate that uh, my folks started a vacation in uh, Back County, Virginia, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And that's obviously an awesome spot to start an angling uh, career. And uh, really, I mean, I don't know how it all happened, but, you know, the homestead uh, is, is prominent there and they do, you know, guided trips and stuff like that, but also clinics and my my parents heavily insisted on me taking a casting clinic and i remember being somewhat uh you know it just didn't really strike me as something that that i wanted to do and and for whatever reason they just they kind of you know pressed me on it and went down there and started casting and thought the two dollar cast was exactly on point with what you know i was supposed to be learning um and really, just from that from that point on, um, you know, I haven't, really haven't looked back. Very neat. And as you kind of proceeded down the road on your fly fishing journey, who are some of the people that mentored you in the sport? Uh, I got two. And really lucky for those two because my fly fishing experience has been uh, pretty solitary. Um, you know, I, I haven't had many people, but... Uh, up there in, in Hot Springs, um, a gentleman who we were referred to to take us, uh, my dad and I, uh, fishing, uh, a gentleman by the name of Jim Taylor was my first real, uh, you know, instructor and mentor. And we still are in contact to this day. And, you know, that's a pretty, you know, holds a special place for me. Someone that really, you know, kind of set me on that path. Um, so he really 
he really lit, you know, got the torch going for me. And then, uh, my supervisor at the homestead, uh, Matt Thomas, um, you know, he really took it to the next level and, you know, that coincided with guiding and boy, he just, he, he really taught me how to do it, how to teach people and, you know, how to extract value from it. Um, so those, those two guys for sure really, you know, made a huge difference in my life. Yeah. Very neat. And when did you uh, get the fly time bug? Uh, pretty late actually. Um, I had even started guiding and it was soon after guiding, but I think I just had one too many clients, uh, asking me if I tied flies and it felt awful to respond that, oh no, you know, I haven't gotten into it yet. And even when, you know, the, the client is into fly tying, I just felt like, you know, well-rounded angler and guide, you know, should have, have that knowledge. So that really, you know, kind of forced me to, to start tying. Got it. And, uh, who are some of, uh, the folks that influenced you as you learned how to tie flies? Uh, so I'm really, uh, pretty self-taught. Um, I'm a, you know, child of YouTube. So that was a huge thing. Um, you know, he doesn't know who I am, but, but Tim Flagler, Tightline Productions, uh, certainly made a huge impression. Um, I even thinking back about it, I, I have a very distinct memory of watching his woolly bugger tutorial, which of course is everybody's entry point. Um, and there's this one scene in, in that video where it cuts away from his commentary and interludes, you know, some cool music. And at that moment, I, I have it seared into my brain. I just, I couldn't get over how cool I thought it was. Um, and that really, I mean, if I have a mentor in that, it's a virtual one, but you know, one that made a huge, huge difference for me. Yeah, absolutely. He puts out really amazing stuff and some of his live streaming mm-hmm. stuff he's been doing, um, during the uh, COVID pandemic has been really, 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 really neat too. Yeah. He's a, he's a whiz with the technology too, which is, I'm learning is, you know, there's quite a learning curve with that stuff as well. So I've learned to really appreciate that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, what was the first vice you ever tied on? Uh, I think that I had, you know, one of those Orbis tying kits that everyone starts out with. Um, so whatever, I don't even, couldn't tell you what model it was or anything like that. Just, uh, you know, a black vice that, that, uh, had the, you know, the clamp that you put on the side of the desk and worked for a while. Um, and I'm only on my second vice, so yeah, they hold up. You remember the first pattern you tied on it? Yeah, woolly bugger for sure. Very neat. And so what do you tie on today? Uh, I tie on my trusty peak rotary vice. Got it. And do you actually use the rotary feature? Uh, I actually don't use it all that much. Um, I'm kind of a fan of really, you know, controlling every aspect of, you know, each part of the fly. and, And I find that not all the time, but, but if I can manually control something, then, then I will. And oftentimes, um, you know, unless it's completely necessary, I won't use that, uh, rotary function quite as much. Yeah. Got it. And before you founded Eclipse Flyco, uh, you were a guide. How did you get into the guide game? Uh, so, I mean, that was like I was mentioning earlier, kind of, you know, just luck of the draw with finding myself spending a lot of time up in Bath County and being close to the homestead resort. Um, so I, I, you know, I guess late in high school, just kind of picked up a job working for them doing their, uh, you know, as an outdoor activities guide. 
um, you know, taking people down the Jackson River and uh, unfortunately also doing the Segway tours, which were actually pretty treacherous. Um, <laughs> but, you know, kind of just got my foot in the door there and, and was able to prove myself as a worthy employee. And then, um, you know, always just knew that they had fly fishing there. And, and I, I really wasn't even, I was into it for sure, but not to the extent of it being where I derived my purpose in life from. Um, but I just, you know, the opportunity arose after like two years of working there and, um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was really quite, quite the experience. I think I learned, you know, more than just fishing lessons doing that. I think it really kind of influenced a lot of how I approach things in life. Yeah. And I know you mentioned, uh, the gentleman that, that ran the, uh, fly fishing program at the homestead as a mentor earlier on in the interview. Are there any other folks that have helped you on your guide journey? Uh, yeah, I mean, as a small operation, um, you know, the, the camaraderie was, was there and, and, you know, I certainly derived a lot of information from, you know, the other, the other people involved. Um, but really, I mean, for the most part, it was like a three or four man operation. Um, so really, you know, like I say, it was pretty, pretty solitary pursuit of mine. Um, I was lucky to have those, those guys though, for sure. Got it. And I have to, I always ask all of my, uh, my guide guests to share what they think the biggest misconception folks have about the life of a fishing guide. Oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, I guess I, 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 it stands out. I was listening to the podcast you did. I, the name slips me at the moment, but it was with a gentleman from Susquehanna river guides. Uh Um, and I'm sure, you know, this is the, you know, common answer, but, but that it's not, you know, you don't get into it to, to go fishing yourself, you know, and it's more about, you know, the education side of it and, um, you know, really the value that you can get from introducing people particularly to the sport. Um, so really, I mean, it's, it's just a matter of, you know, helping people fish as opposed to you fishing. Um, you know, a good guide is, is gonna, you know, observe and, and let you have your space and interject where necessary, but, but, you know, you're letting them do their thing and, and, you know, leaving your, you know, all of your ideologies at the door and, and, uh, just, you know, helping people. That's really, really what it's all about. No, it makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, you started fly fishing, you kind of picked up fly tying after the fact when you were guiding. And I guess you said sort of felt bad about not tying what made you decide to make the jump into production time? Uh, that was really, really out of necessity. Um, I did kind of find that, you know, there were a couple of reasons that guiding in that current situation, uh, wasn't going to work out long-term. Um, you know, the allure of living in a County that doesn't have a single stoplight, did kind of start to wane after a little bit. Um, and of course the seasonal nature of it. Um, I'm not really an itinerant person for the lifestyle of, you know, guiding one place in the, uh, you know, on season in our hemisphere and then, and then going somewhere else for the rest. Uh, that really didn't appeal to me. So, but, but I knew that I, I had to be in the fishing industry. Um, and I didn't know how I was going to do that. Um, and I figured that, you know, this is something that I can do and, and, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it well and, um, you know, create, create the job that I want. 
And, and so as you kind of made that transition uh, into production tying, what was the biggest surprise or adjustment for you? Uh, that would have had to have been the, you know, how physically demanding it was. I, I don't think I really appreciated what it's like to sit behind a vice for extended amounts of time um, and in, you know, long durations and day after day after day, um, you know, really figuring out how that I, how I can, you know, kind of mold the rest of my life so that I can keep that going. Um, because it really got, it did get to a point where, you know, for the first, gosh, I mean, year and a half, it was, you know, extreme, extreme discomfort all the time to the point where there was even like early on when I really first started, you know, full time, seven days a week tying, um, went into like a full state of spasm and was bedridden for like three days. Um, so that was a huge surprise to me is that I would have to really, you know, kind of make some, some lifestyle changes to, to maintain that level of production. Um, and, uh, luckily I have kind of worked it out. You know, there's certainly, you know, better days than, you know, than some, but, uh, but yeah, that was a huge challenge, honestly. Um, you know, figuring out how to, how to make that work because there were certainly times where I felt like, gosh, if this keeps going, I, I don't know if I can, if I can keep sitting behind the vice you know, for this, this amount of time. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that before. And, you know, one thing that was kind of interesting, I was really curious about when I was doing the research for this interview, uh, was how you came up with the name for your business. Uh, yeah, that's, um, that's kind of an interesting one. And if you don't mind me trying to explain it's, it's kind of, uh, it's a little, little weird, but, um, I've always kind of had a, a fascination with the cosmos um, and I've always kind of felt like the order of the universe kind of replicates itself in different scales. And I kind of started to see that, especially in the, you know, the, you know, the world that we're involved in in fly fishing, you know, particularly very, very small stuff. Um, and that, that always, you know, things would just over time kind of pop up and be like, Hey, I've, I've heard astrophysicists talk about stuff that, that seems relate relatable to what I'm seeing here. Um, one of those being, staring a trout in the eye and realizing that it almost perfectly resembles an eclipse. Um, and you know, that was just one of my shower thoughts where one day I was like, Oh wow, you know, that's, that's really cool. I think I can, you know, run with that name and, and I'm sure glad I did. Very neat. And why don't you, uh, share with our listeners, uh, what makes eclipse special? Yeah. So a couple of things and, Really, uh, one thing that stood out to me in, in, you know, listening to you in the past, I, I, I distinctly remember you talking about um, a big part of the articulate fly was, you know, to create a community of anglers and to get people involved in the sport. Um, and, and that's really, really what I'm all about with Eclipse. Um, you know, I deliberately use the word inclusive on the front page of my website, um, Mostly because, you know, I, I, my, my main objective is to create a positive consumer experience, not only for experienced anglers, but, but particularly for those who are new to the sport um, and, and really just kind of drive home the message that, you know, you're welcomed in this community. And especially if you're new, um, you know, I, I, I want to help you and I, I want to make sure that your entry to the sport is as seamless as possible because um, I'm sure you know as well as I do. Um, you know, fly fishing, people have a tendency to really overcomplicate things. And, you know, that, 
you know, has its merits for sure. Uh, it can just be very intimidating at the start. Um, and, you know, even myself having been in the, the game for a little bit, um, you know, I still still feel intimidated all the time. Um, so it's really just about, you know, doing everything I can to, to create a positive experience for people and, and help people along. I, I feel like it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of people, you know, don't want you to blow up the spot or, you know, people are, are hesitant to get people into the sport because they're worried about, uh, you know, overcrowding. And certainly that's an issue, but uh, I think it's a, a matter of strength in numbers. And particularly when you, you know, consider it's a, a lot of times an issue of, you know, protecting our natural resources. I think that strength in numbers is, is a huge, you know, is going to be a huge thing going forward. So, you know, whatever I can do to you know, get people into the sport and create more, you know, advocates for the environment, that's, uh, that's huge for me. Yeah, I think you you really can't place a price, you know, whether someone tries fly fishing or some other outdoor activity and they stay with it or not. I don't, I don't think we really appreciate how valuable it is for people to have positive experiences. Um, so to your point, when there's a resource issue or an access issue, uh, they feel motivated to take action. Absolutely. Yeah. And this, this might get a little rambly. I, I hope that's okay. But one of the, going back to talking about guiding, um, one thing that really, really stuck out to me and is the reason that I'm still, still in the game today, I think, um, you know, I, I was lucky enough to get kind of on the, you know, conservation train early on in, in high school and, and continued that through college, not really knowing how or what I was going to, going to do to make the difference that I wanted to. And it kind of just fell into my lap with guiding. Um, you know, a lot of what we were doing at the homestead was, you know, taking people who had never touched a fly rod before because it was just another activity at the resort. Um, and seeing the reaction that people had, um, of course, you know, you, people talk all the time about, you know, you see the fire lit when people catch their first trout. And I'm a huge believer that, you know, if you have a connection to your place, um, you're going to be, you know, far more inclined to, you know, speak out for it. Um, so it really, I mean, it, it just, it checks all the boxes for me for sure. Very neat. And so I know that, uh, it's, you know, you're the owner and the sole employee at Eclipse. What does a day at the company look like for you? Uh, I can tell you very specifically actually, because I'm a extremely routine driven individual. Um, so, and really part of that is, is, you know, the consistency that I like to offer. So I, I really try to make sure that, you know, I know exactly what I'm doing that day and, and what I need to do so that I can make sure that there's no, you know, nothing that, that, you know, falls, falls under the radar. Um, so, you know, wake up early seven, uh, cup of coffee, consume some sort of media, whether that, you know, while I'm waking up, usually something fly fishing related. If I, if I, you know, find something good and then eight o'clock, that's when I kick it into high gear. And, uh, it's different most days, you know, some days it's, you know, kind of prepping orders or prepping, uh, shipments rather for the day, or, you know, kind of, looking at what I have from the, you know, the night before the previous day that, that I have to tie that day, uh, or how I can expedite that process. Um, you know, sometimes it's materials prep, other times it's, you know, sending newsletters and always responding to, to customers in the morning. Um, and then about nine o'clock, that's when I start, you know, start cranking the flies out. Um, and I will do that simultaneously while, you know, responding to inquiries, talking to people, helping people along. Um, and do that all day and then come four o'clock, you know, the, 
thousands of thread wraps kind of start to, to wear on you a little bit. So that's when I kind of stand up and try to do something active and, you know, pick off the cobwebs, uh, come back inside, finish up if I haven't, you know, hit my five dozen daily quota. Uh, and that's usually about, you know, six o'clock. And then that's, uh, when the second job starts and I start, um, you know, cleaning up the desk, getting ready to, you know, take photographs or record a video and, and, you know, get something out on social media just to, you know, stay engaged with the community. Um, and then I try to pry myself away from the phone for the rest of the night, but I do often find myself, um, you know, working with people, helping people out. Um, so it's really, I mean, I find myself working quite a lot. Um, I think that's definitely necessary uh, with, with what I want to achieve and, you know, the standard that, that I hold myself to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's usually, it's pretty standard. Um, I've got it pretty dialed in at this point. Um, and actually, going back to what you said, um, I did start Eclipse, but I actually do have, um, I'm working with some people now, which is really awesome, helping me kind of expand my catalog. Um, so I've actually, I've been working with one guy consistently who's, who's kind of my streamer guy. Um, but as of now, I've actually you know, started working with uh, four other people, which is great. And I think that's, for the time being, you know, how I'll, I'll kind of, you know, works going forward. Got it. And so you've got a streamer guy. What do the other folks do for you? Uh, so those are more in the trial runs. Um, and I'm starting out with some people. So it's, it's you know, we're kind of ironing things out. Um, but I'm going to have a guy, you know, try to hit that, you know, west of the 100th meridian market you know they like to fish really really small stuff and um i'm happy tying that stuff but i feel you know i just try to stick to my lane and do what i know best and what i can you know make sure that the you know the quality is you know top notch um so i've got a guy who who's really a, a midge expert um i've got another guy in georgia who's uh a master of the houdini weaving method so bring some unique flies to the shop and then um one other guy and, you know, kind of just trying that one out too, but he does like some cool articulated stuff. So I thought that'd be neat to, you know, bring in some, some bigger stuff as well. Yeah. Very cool. And so how many days a week do you, do you tie six or six? Do you take a day off? Uh, no, never. <laughs> um, I could, I'm totally addicted to it and I feel like I'm kind of in a mad dash to, you know, achieve as much as I can in a short amount of time just to give myself the best chances of staying in this industry. Um, so really, I mean, it, it takes a lot. Um, I probably, you know, 70 hours of a week is, is standard. Um, and, uh, might take a day off. I don't know, like once every other month or something like that. Yeah, no, it's cutting into your fishing time for sure. Then. That's all right. I got plenty of people out there who are helping me, uh, helping me test. And I, I get to get some of that satisfaction vicariously with, you know, all the, the feedback and pictures that I get. So it's cool for now. And I think I, I cashed in on my time up in, in the mountains too. So I, uh, I could stand to, to do, you know, do something else for a little bit, but I am excited to get back to it for sure. Got it. And I, and I noticed looking at your website, it seems like, you, you have a focus on Euro nymphing or competitive nymphing patterns. And I was curious about what drew you to that part of the angling community. Um, I always fished Euro nymphs. Um, that was, you know, I was just a huge fan of that, uh, in my own experience. Um, but really when it comes down to selling flies, you know, I started out certainly not selling a lot of Euro nymphs. Um, 
it was a lot of stuff all over the board and I kind of just let the market tell me where to go. And, and, you know, that's clearly the the trend right now. And I'm not, you know, I'm not scared to, to change when, when the trend goes another direction, but, but for now that's, um, you know, that's what the people want. So that's what I'm, you know, doing the most of. Got it. And so in your uh, prior eclipse life, did you fish competitively at all, or was it just the way you kind of like to fish for yourself and for your clients? No, no, I never got into the competitive world. Uh, and, uh, I have a lot of appreciation for those guys, for sure. Guys and gals, they take fishing to a whole, whole new level. And, um, and yeah, I, I feel like had I had the opportunity, I, I think that would have been cool, but, um, but no, no, I never did. Um, and I'm, I'm okay with that. Got it. And, you know, it looked like kind of looking at your site, it looks like you, um, you tie, you tie traditional, uh, styles, but you kind of put your own stamp on them. Am I kind of right in reading that, um, that you kind of create your own stuff and that you're not, for example, tying generic patterns, like here's here, hairs, ear jigs or things like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do try to, you know, put my twist on, on things anywhere I can. Um, and it's, it's constantly evolving. You know, I, I have my staple patterns that stay in the shop. Um, and then I, you know, I kind of let the, let feedback and, and the trends tell me where to go. And, and I just, um, you know, I, it's constantly evolving. So, so as time goes on, it, it, I, it certainly becomes more and more original. Um, and I, and I do, you know, in my evolution of fly development, hope to, hope to be, you know, you know, completely doing my, my, my own original stuff. Um, but certainly, you know, there's, there's uh patterns that, that have those keywords and, and, you know, they, they are, are bulk of what people are buying. So, um, you know, I do try to stay true to what people are buying and then, you know, also kind of expand and, and offer something, something new as well. So you're getting feedback from customers and I'm, you know, I guess some of that can be general or specific, you know, Scott, how does that trend, that feedback translate its way onto the hook for you? Um, so I really, you know, just try to pay attention to, to what, what people are going with. And, and sometimes I'll, I'll get, you know, requests and, you know, I'll start using a new material and then, you know, that's, that's where it all begins. You know, you start using a material, see what it, you know, wants you to do with it and, and just start, you know, creating stuff from there, see how it works, see what people like. And oftentimes it's, you know, go crazy, put, put three new patterns up of similar kind and, and see which one sticks, which one doesn't go with that one. And then, um, you know, kind of just all, all evolves over time. Yeah. And you've got a really, uh, really well done Instagram page. And I imagine you probably get a fair amount of feedback from Instagram on your patterns too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that community is hugely valuable to me. Um, there are some incredible people out, out there doing awesome work. Um, and you know, they've certainly helped me along. Um, and, uh, and yeah, just, you know, feedback in general, you know, you can, you can kind of tell when you, you know, you get used to certain levels of engagement and, and things really, you know, pop out like, Oh, wow, that people really seem to like that one. Um, let's, you know, give it a try in the shop and see what they think there. And, um, you know, things, things surprise you for sure. But, um, you know, the stakes aren't too high either. Uh, you know, I tie things that I know will catch fish. Um, and so really it's just a matter of, you know, what people are most interested in. That's what I roll with. Got it. And what are some of the challenges that, uh, you face as a production tire? Um, you know, not a lot. Um, I've honestly found it, you know, I've worked super, super hard, but I found it 
not as hard as I, I thought to, to get to a point where I'm doing it full time. Um, I think a, a big challenge of it is, is the perception of it. Um, especially outside of the industry, but, um, you know, dealing with, with, you know, old sentiments that, you know, if, you know, you hear a lot of times, you know, oh, you're never going to get rich tying flies. And, and to a certain extent that might be true. Um, but just, you know, some of the attitudes that, that go along with, with, uh, this pursuit, um, I'm sure it's true of any, any pursuit, but, um, you know, just staying focused on what I know is working and what my customers enjoy. And, and um, yeah. Yeah, interesting. And, you know, I always ask, um, I've had been lucky enough to have several production tires um, on the podcast. I'm always interested in, you know, getting you to share tips that you kind of learn when you tie thousands of flies with um, what I call Mm -hmm. us regular fly tires. And so I was wondering if you had three tips you could share uh, from your production tying world for our listeners. Uh, Yeah, I can certainly give you some tips. Um, You know, and this one doesn't really relate to the commercial time, but it, it stays true to this, to, you know, whatever level you take it. Um, but, but the phrase really sticks out to me that I, I don't know where I heard it, but the idea that fish can't count. Um, so, you know, you, you just don't have to worry that much that, you know, it can just be your own experience. You know, it's an artistic pursuit and, um, you know, it's just even, even to the extent that I'm doing it, it's just, you know, about having fun, um, you know, so to all the regular tires, you know, it's, it's just a matter of doing what, what you enjoy and, you know, don't let other people tell you what you're doing is wrong or how to do it differently. Just, you know, put the blinders on, focus what, what works for you and, and what, what makes you happy doing it. Um, that's a huge thing. And that's kind of been a challenge for me, for me, but, um, but yeah. And, and other than that, I, you know, a big one for me is, um, and it really, it really is true when you, when you start to tie flies in the, you know, thousands of, uh, you know, thousands of flies a month range, um, you start to really learn the materials. Um, and it's a little bit like fishing, you know, a good angler will be observant and let the fish tell you what to do. Um, and I've certainly found it, you know, doing it this much that that is absolutely the case with materials as well. Um, you know, materials will point you in the right direction and, um, and just, you know, let them, let them tell you how they want to be worked. And oftentimes that'll open up avenues that, you know, that if you were trying to force something, you didn't even, you know, realize were there. Um, that's, I think, really all I got for you. Um, oh, that's all good. And I, it's interesting. I think I know the answer to this question based on our conversation uh, before we started recording. But uh, what's one tying tool that might be a little unusual that you can't live without? Oh, man, I'm super standard. I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of the fancy bells and whistles that a lot of people have. I actually, compared to a lot of tires, my setup is, is pretty small. I've, what I do use, I have an obscene amount of. Um, but I'm using pretty, pretty basic stuff to tell you the truth. Um, you know, you don't have to get too crazy, but one thing that I, I find myself using all the time is just a, uh, like a, like a needlepoint bodkin. Um, that thing for whatever reason seems to just always crop up and, and I'm always using that thing. And oftentimes I have to, you know, go into another room in the house looking for it because it also is very useful and other things, you know, not fly tying related. Got it. And what do you use it for mostly when you tie? 
Uh, I use it mostly for uh, resin application. Um, I find that I just have a lot, a lot more control, um, you know, with being able to, you know, select the exact right amount of resin that I want for that, uh, you know, whatever I'm doing. And, um, this allows me to be a lot, you know, more fine, fine tuned, um, especially with the resins. Got it. And, and I know that you don't sell tying materials, but I also know that you pretty regularly put out tying videos in your social media feeds. How does that sharing of tying videos help your fly business? Cause it seems to me like you could kind of look at it and it's kind of a neat thing to do, but you know, you're selling flies. So maybe you don't want to show people how to tie flies. Oh yeah. I mean, that just really, I think with that more than anything, I'm just sending a message that this is for everyone. I'm, you know, I'm not one to, you know, not tell people of a spot, a fishing spot or, or how to do, you know, some certain, you know, trick and tying. I just, it, it affords me the ability to show that, you know, I'm intent on being transparent with what I do. Very neat. Got it. And, you know, you shared with us uh, earlier in the interview that you actually are working on partnering with some other tires, which is, I know, news since uh, you and I spoke in Virginia at the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival. Do you have any mm-hmm. other developments on the horizon uh, at Eclipse that you want to share with our listeners? Boy, it's, uh, it's hard to say. Um, you know, I, I, this, this is pretty relatively new. I've, I've, I'm super fortunate to experience pretty, pretty rapid growth. Um, so it's really hard to say where, where it'll go. Um, I've certainly got my ideas and I might naively be shooting too high. Um, but, but I've got, you know, pretty lofty goals with this. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see, I'd, I'd really love to offer a platform for, for people that, aren't quite in the situation of, of being able to, you know, tackle it as a full-time pursuit. Um, but, you know, are looking to get into the game and, you know, just give people a platform that, you know, they can, they can have an opportunity to sell their flies. And, and, um, that actually, that for me, if you don't mind me kind of going on a tangent about that, um, is a, a really important point about that. Um, you know, that, that platform aspect of it for me is, is really big because, um, I do think that the the commercial fly tying model uh, is is subject to change, especially now with the way that we have changed with you know just the last few years with social media and and you know the the ease of access that we have to to pursuing something on our on our own. Um, and I think there is a, a new opportunity to you know, help people along who, who are, are, like I say, looking to get into the game. Um, you know, it's really hard with the standard model to be a commercial fly tire, uh, you know, typically selling to shops all the while competing with, you know, the other flies in the shops that are, that are commercially produced for a an extremely low cost. Um, you know, I get emails every week, you know, people in other countries offering to sell me flies for, you know, three bucks a dozen. Um, so it's really hard in the, the, you know, the old model, I think to, to make it happen. Um, and I just think that this, this new approach, um, has a lot of potential. Um, and so I, I invite people to, you know, reach out if, if you are willing to stand up to, to my level of scrutiny. Um, you know, I'd love to, to work with people and, and, you know, just expand this thing in any way I can and solve for the problem of, you know, people not really being able to 
pursue commercial fly tying is, is a you know a career. You know, it's doable, but it, it is very hard, and I think it's changing. So um, it's all good. Got it. And so, what is the best way for folks to kind of keep up with you and everything that's going on at Eclipse? Uh, I'd say social media is the best. Uh, you know, I, I I'm very responsive on you know any platform, um, but but that's a great place. You know, I I'm a habitual checker of, of my phone for you know I, I I say it's for business reasons, but it's it's probably more than that. But um, but yeah, so that's a that's an awesome place to to reach out. I'll uh, I'll get back to you literally right away, and and um, you know I'm always. I was looking to talk too, you know, I wish people made phone calls more these days. Yeah. Well, why don't you share, uh, share your phone number, uh, your website address and your social media handles for folks. Sure. So, um, Instagram is, uh, at Eclipse Flyco, um, eclipseflyco.com. That's my, uh, website. And, and, uh, other than that, you can, you know, call me up anytime, uh, at, uh, my phone number is 804-380-9769. Very cool. And I'll drop all that and your social media um, handles in the show notes. And Scott, I really appreciate you uh, taking a little bit of time in between your first job of the day and your second job of the day to talk with me. (laughs) Well, man, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Um, It's been a pleasure. No, absolutely. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much. Awesome, man. Have a good one. You too. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you like the podcast, please subscribe in the podcatcher of your choice and leave us a review. It really helps us out. And again, a shout out to this episode's sponsor, our friends at the Bristol Bay Defense Fund. Go to www.bristolbaydefensefund.com and donate today. Tight lines, everybody.